listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture today is from Mark 9, verses 38 through 50. And they put this in nice big print so I don't even have to put my glasses on. (laughs) John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Lori. That's fun, huh? Let's try preaching from down here again today, just to, just to see how it feels. I want to try something a little different. We did this a couple weeks ago because we were having tech issues, uh, maybe a month ago now. Like, uh, there was a week that the sound wasn't coming through, the speakers at all, so I preached down here. It was kind of fun. We're not having any technical issues today, but, you know, it was Easter and then communion, and now we finally got space so I can run around. I'll keep Morgan guessing on the, on the camera up there. Don't know where I'm going to go. Oh. Oh man, so uh, we're going to be continuing our study on Mark today, and we are picking up right where we left off. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about the disciples fighting about who was the greatest, Uh, and then that was when Jesus brings over a little kid, and Jesus puts the kid among the disciples, and he says, if you want to be great, become the least. Whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. We're picking up right after all that. Okay, like that just happened. Jesus just got done saying, be humble, be a servant, welcome the least, right? And so the disciples are like, got it, Jesus, check. Oh, by the way, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but we tried to stop him because he wasn't with us. It's like, come on. Like, where's the facepalm Jesus from a few weeks ago? We got the face. Like, come on, guys. That is not the point. It's John, too. It's it's like, come on, John. You're you're my favorite. What What are you doing? We saw someone casting out demons in your name, 
And we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. It would almost be comedy if it weren't still so accurate. The United Methodist Church officially decided to split last week. I don't know if anyone saw that news. It was out there. Um, Over LGBTQ inclusion. Um, This has been in the works for a number of years, uh, but now it's official. The United Methodists are splitting into two denominations, one that welcomes gay, lesbian, and trans people, and one that doesn't. If you have Methodist friends, now might be a good time to check in on them, see how they're doing, maybe invite them to church, um, because this is going to affect a lot of people. The pandemic did something to us as a society. Too many hours, I think, isolating at home, watching cable news. We were divided before, but it is way worse now, and it's affecting the church. We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't with us. He wasn't part of our team. Thankfully, Jesus pushes right back on the disciples. Verse 39, we'll throw this up on the screen. Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. In these three verses, Jesus is giving his followers an alternative model for how to organize ourselves and stay united. And it flies in the face of the way we typically organize ourselves in our culture and, ironically, in many churches. Normally, human beings tend to unite around a common enemy. Right? That's what we usually do. You want to get a lot of people together, you point them to a, a shared en- enemy. Uh, the late philosopher Eric Hoffer put it pretty well. i got a quote from him up here. Um, Hatred is the most accessible and comprehensive of all the unifying agents. Mass movements can rise and spread without belief in a God, but never without belief in a devil. If you want to unify people, if you want to get us together around a common cause, the easiest way to do it is to point to a common enemy. Think about the times in our own nation's history when we were most united. Times, yeah, times, times when we all got along. Someone said 9-11. Um, Go back even further, World War II, right? We were united back then to fight Germany and Japan, a common enemy. Or the 1950s, right? Like, leave it to Beaver, the good old days. (laughs) For some people. Uh, (laughs) When we were united against communism. Or what Peggy said, the only time of unity that I can remember from my lifetime, right after 9-11, when we came together as a country to launch the war on terror, invading Afghanistan and then later Iraq. Two of the only bipartisan decisions our government has made in the last 25 years were to invade other countries. If you want to start a movement, you need a devil, an enemy. Of course, there are problems with this approach. Uh, especially in a nation as large and as powerful as the United States, uh, eventually you run out of threats. Eventually we can get so big and powerful that there are no outside threats uh, to rally around, and that is when people turn on each other. We find some boogeyman in the culture 
to rage against, and it tears us apart. This is what happened to Rome, right? This is what happens to every big empire, every great kingdom. They don't usually fall to some outside threat. They tear themselves apart from within. That's the problem with organizing around a common enemy, organizing around violence. Eventually, that violence turns on you. It's almost like those who live by the sword die by the sword or something like that. I feel like, I feel like I've read that somewhere before. Like, I've heard that. Someone said that at some point. <sighs> Jesus gives us a different model. In the church, things are supposed to work differently. We don't unite against a common enemy. We are called to unify around a common mission. Whoever's not against us is for us. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Jesus is talking about mission. We don't unify around a common enemy. We unify around a shared mission, and that mission is following Christ, following Jesus out into the world, being the hands and feet of Christ, sharing the good news, and sowing God's love for our neighbors. That's our mission. We're not called to wage a culture war. We're not called to defeat atheism or secularism or any other isms. We are called to follow Jesus, to participate in God's work on earth. That's our mission. A couple weeks ago, I encountered a Christian from another church <clears throat> who found out that I'm the pastor here at the church with the sign. <clears throat> and he started grilling me. It was a lot of fun. Um, theological questions, biblical questions. I could tell he didn't really like my answers because they weren't what he was expecting. Um, so finally, he just asked me, is your church woke? I was like, we're Baptists. Like, what are you talking about? Um, <clears throat> but he kept pushing. He was like, what about you? Are you a leftist? I was like, I'm, I'm left-handed. I realized all these buzzwords this is a person who's been pointed at a number of different enemies. Maybe by his church, maybe by cable news, I don't know. But he's been given an enemy, and since we don't line up, since our church isn't clearly on his team, he assumes that we're one of them. So what I did is I told him about the stuff I love about this church. I told him about how we dig into the Bible every week. I told him about how this community cares for each other, how we try to make a difference outside the walls of the sanctuary. I told him about people I've met who were ready to walk away from the faith, folks who got burned by other churches, but they landed here and found their love of Jesus renewed. I shifted from enemy talk to mission talk, and that conversation ended a lot more positively than it began. Because as Christians, we don't organize around a common enemy, we unite around a common mission. That's the first point. Second thing that I see here in Jesus' response to the disciples is a pretty big shift from bounded sets to centered sets. Let me explain what this means because this is really technical language, but this is huge. Um, bounded sets and centered sets come to us from the world of math, which I, I know math is not everybody's bag. Last week we used a hockey analogy. This week you're getting math. Stick with us. We'll land on something you like eventually. Um, but this one shift in thinking can change everything. Bounded sets versus centered sets. Let's start by looking at a bounded set to wrap our minds around this. 
<laughs> Sex already out of it. Um, a bounded set is a set of numbers defined by strict set boundaries. Uh, if I say numbers ranging from 10 to 20, right, that's a bounded set. We know exactly what numbers are in and exactly what numbers are out. 10 is in that set, right? 11, uh, 15, 16, 20, they're all in that set. Nine is not in that set. Five, not in that set. 25, 100, they don't belong because they're outside the set boundaries. That's a bounded set. Are we following so far? Okay, sweet. <clears throat> Let's look at a, a centered set by contrast. Centered sets, rather than being based on the boundaries, are based on a, on a common center. So if I say numbers that are close to 15, it would probably overlap with the previous set, but now numbers like 9 and 25 are in the running. 9 can belong, you guys. It might not be as close as like 14, but it's a heck of a lot closer than like 80, right? That's a centered set. Bounded sets versus centered sets. Anyone's eyes glaze over yet at all the math? <laughs> okay. Um, let's get away from numbers. Let's think more practically. Let's talk about cattle ranching. <laughs> Didn't think I'd go there, did you? <clears throat> I told you, stick, stick around long enough, we're going to land on something. Cattle ranching, yeehaw, uh, cattle ranching. <clears throat> I know so much about cattle ranches, too. <laughs> I Googled it, it's fine. <clears throat> so on a cattle ranch, you want to keep the cows from wandering off, right? <laughs> if you lose the cows, that's a big deal. Like, that's your, that's your number one job. So what do we do? What would you do, what would you build to keep the cows from wandering off? A fence, correct. You build a fence. You build a fence to keep all the animals contained, keep them from getting lost. That is a bounded set, right? There's a glare, so I can't see it. Look at all the cute little cows in the little fence. Now, centered sets go about this problem a little bit differently. This is true especially out west uh, where some of these cattle ranches are huge. We're talking thousands of acres. And that could include, you know, gorges, canyons, giant boulders, stuff that is just impractical to build a fence around. So what do they do? What do, what do the ranchers with that much land do? What do they build to keep their herds from wandering off? Anybody know? Feed? Well, you said they don't. Feed is, is around getting very close to it, they build a well. You build a well. If you dig a well at the center of your land and you water your herd, your cattle there, over and over again, eventually, over time, they're not going to wander away. They're not going to drift too far from their water source. And even if they do, instinctively, the animals are going to come back when they get thirsty because they know where the water is. That's a centered set. We tracking so far? Awesome. Now let's talk about the church. Let's get a church up there on the screen. There we go. Beautiful church. We'll keep the cows because they're cute. Just pretend they're us. <clears throat> let's relate this to the church. Is the church a bounded set or a centered set? <laughs> a, lot of a lot of people said centered. Uh, yeah. I ideally, ideally the church would be a centered set, right? But what about in practice? Yeah, in practice, a lot of churches are on the bounded set side. We try to keep people in line by building fences. 
right? We articulate statements of faith, definitions of orthodoxy. We make all these rigid rules and regulation to keep people in the fence, determine who's in and who's out. Ooh, go back, go back, go back one on the slides. We jumped ahead, it's okay. Um, we do all this, which often leaves what were a bunch of sad little cows on the outside. That's bounded set thinking. But when Jesus says, whoever performs a deed of power in my name won't be able to speak evil of me, that is centered set thinking. Jesus is telling the disciples, now we can move forward. We've got the cross up there, perfect. Don't stop someone who's doing good in my name. They're connected to me. I'm at the center. Don't build a fence. Dig a well. As Christians, we need to organize around Jesus at the center. What if we made this shift as a church? What if instead of following the tendency of our culture to put up fences, build walls, unite around a common enemy, what if the church was a model of centered set thinking? What if we united, what if we attracted people by pointing to Christ and his cross at the center? One way we practice this here at our church uh, is in kids' ministry. And don't worry, this is not another guilt trip to serve in kids' ministry. I can't, <laughs> I can't do that two weeks in a row. Um, <clears throat> but one way we try to do this is in children's ministry. Um, at most churches, I will tell you, uh, children's ministry is usually about instilling morals and getting kids to memorize stuff. Very, very bounded set. Do this, don't do that. This is good, this is bad. Here's a bunch of stuff to memorize. That is bounded set thinking. That's what Sunday school, or whatever you want to call it, looks like at most churches. Here at our church, though, uh, in our kids' ministry, we use a curriculum called Telling God's Story. Uh, this is a fantastic curriculum. We actually have adult guides to this curriculum. We sell them for 10 bucks at the Connection Center. They're fantastic. Even if you don't have a kid in the children's ministry program, like that adult guide is wonderful. We use this curriculum here that spends the entire elementary years, kindergarten through fifth grade, grounding kids in the story of Jesus. Every week they're learning about the life of Jesus, his teachings, his miracles, his ministry, um, the stories of the early church. That's what our elementary kids talk about every week. They're not memorizing a bunch of Bible verses and doctrine. Uh, they're not getting a bunch of watered-down Old Testament stories with all the violent stuff taken out and like a cute little moral attached at the end. They're being trained in the way of Jesus because we want our kids centered on Christ. Whatever happens in their future, whatever challenges they face, wherever God leads them, we want to make sure that every kid who grows up in this church has Jesus at the center. That's what matters. Amen. If they know where, they, where to go for living water, the other stuff will work itself out. Bounded sets and centered sets. Focus on Jesus at the center, not the boundaries. That's point number two. Did I, we didn't lose you all with the ranching and the math, did we? <clears throat> okay, good, awesome. Now, there's one more point I was going to make, point number three, but we had to change it. I had to change it. I had to change point number three this week. Uh, when I was planning this sermon, my original plan, there's so much good stuff in here about hell. I love when Jesus gets hellfire and brimstone. The original plan was to look at the next part of the sermon, or the next part of this passage, when Jesus says, I think we have the verse up here, 
If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Beautiful. <laughs> we were going to talk about this line. And I was going to get into how a lot of people will typically think this is about children. And it could be. A lot of people will take this and tie it back to the stuff we talked about last week about welcoming children. That is a legit way to read this line. Another way, though, to read that phrase, one of these little ones who believes in me, is that Jesus is talking about the exorcist. The guy that the disciples tried to cut out, that they tried to stop, that they tried to push away. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better, according to Jesus, if a stone was put around their neck and they were thrown in the water. That's what we were going to talk about. And I kind of just did. <clears throat> You're not supposed to notice that. But in light of some recent events this week, I think we need to land this somewhere else. So we're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to branch off our passage for this last point because there's an important flip side to knowing who our friends are, and it's something we don't talk about near enough. In order to recognize our friends, we also need to recognize our enemies. We've got to know who our enemies are. Not to unite around them and oppose them and defeat them. Not to scapegoat them. That's the way of the world. But make no mistake about it, we do have enemies. And a lot of times, a lot of times in more forward-thinking, centered-set type churches, we fall into this trap where we think we're supposed to just get along with everyone, you know? Uh, don't have enemies. Everybody's in. Uh, centered-set thinking. But we can't be naive, even as we hold on to all of that. The truth is we will always have enemies on this side of eternity. And it is important to acknowledge that, sometimes for our own safety. If you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, there are some churches that are not safe for you because you have enemies there. If your skin is a few shades darker than mine, there are communities that are not safe for you to drive through because there are enemies there. If you have a uterus, there are people out there who want to relegate you to second-class status. Those are enemies. And as Christians, we are never told not to have enemies. We are commanded to love them. That is a huge difference. A lot of times I think Christians try to get out of loving our enemies by pretending we don't have any. It's like this weaselly little thing, oh, I don't have enemies, I love everyone. And then you don't have to love them. That's funny. But that doesn't work. We do have enemies on this side of eternity. We're just called to love them. Uh, there's actually a fantastic book that came out last year called How to Have an Enemy. I can't recommend this book enough. It's written by a Mennonite pastor down in North Carolina. Her name's uh, Melissa Flora Bixler. Great guide for Christians and what it actually looks like to love our enemies. Loving enemies doesn't mean you have to get along with everyone. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to put yourself in a position to be hurt or abused. But it does mean we should know who our enemies are and we should practice loving them. That could look like praying for them. That could look like serving them. That could look like uh, staying away and not engaging when they try to suck us into a fight. 
It could be advocating for their rights and dignity even when they don't respect ours. We need to recognize our enemies and we need to love them if we really want to be different from the world and how it organizes. Because the world will give you enemies. The world will point you and tell you who to blame for your problems, especially in a world so intent on dividing us, on turning neighbors against neighbors, Christians against Christians. We have to know who our actual enemies are so we don't mistake our friends for enemies. An enemy is anyone who means to do us harm. Anyone who throws a stumbling block in front of you, who tries to cause one of these little ones to stumble, that is an enemy. And our job isn't to defeat them, it's to love them. It's not to convince them that they're wrong, win them over to our side, it's to love them. Occasionally, we're even going to encounter some Christians who mean to do us harm. Christian enemies, as wild as that sounds. And when that happens, our only job is to love them and point them to Christ. Point them back to the center. That's how you treat an enemy. Know who your friends are. In the community of Jesus, we identify our friends because they have the same mission, they have the same center, which is Christ, and we also recognize our friends by knowing our enemies and loving them. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us an alternative to the divisive, tribalistic thinking in the world around us. Thank you for uniting us around a common mission with Christ at the center. God, help us to know who our friends are. Help us to be a people that build wells instead of fences. Center us on Christ, Lord. And unite us around the work of carrying out his mission. A mission that's centered on love. Even love for our enemies. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.